everybody and welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Podcast. Firstly, this podcast, my website and all of my regular newsletters focus on the goal of helping you to achieve peak human and athletic performance by me trying to interpret the science and then translating it into easy to understand lessons for you. If you enjoy the podcast, you might be interested to know that I've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth exclusive content and programs so that you can take your performances to the next level. And I will tell you a little bit more about this in the exit for this show. Now, on this week's podcast, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been sidelined by Achilles problems? Well, I have, and I know a lot more of you have. And let me tell you, if you haven't had one already, a sore Achilles is not only really painful, it makes any sort of running night on impossible. A lot of the athletes I've coached and a lot of my friends have had Achilles issues. And there's also a myth that calf and Achilles problems are somewhat inevitable if you're involved in sports, which include running. This week, our favourite super physio, Alison Rose, is back on the show to discuss this specific subject. And we talk about different types of Achilles issues, whether they really are inevitable, why they occur in the first place, whether certain folks are more likely to suffer them. And finally... And probably most importantly, what you can do to take care of your Achilles tendons and reduce your risk of injury. So, whether you've had Achilles injuries or not, or you just want to avoid ever getting them, this is a must-listen-to podcast. So let's crack on with the lady herself. Welcome back, Alison. It's a pleasure to have you here again for another podcast. Hi, Simon. Always good to chat. So, last time... Uh, we were talking about calf strength, weren't we? And why people get injuries, why people get calf injuries. And I thought that, and particularly as I've been, uh, feel like I've been a victim of this, and I know a lot of other athletes have, that we could talk about Achilles a little bit more specific than the calf. I know that's something that you see a lot of in the clinic. So, uh, um, yeah, can you can you just explain what the Achilles is, what its function is first, so that so that people understand how it is the interface between the foot and the calf, and what function it performs, particularly while we're cycling and running. Yeah, the Achilles is the tendon that comes down at the bottom of your calf that attaches onto your heel bone. So you can see that on everybody. Um, just sort of, yeah, you know, looks. It's about fingers width wide, really big, thick tendon. It's the attachment of your gastrox muscle, which is a longer calf muscle, and the soleus muscle, um, and they come down and then join into the heel bone. So it's a massive tendon in terms of the loading capacity that it needs to put up with. So it obviously absorbs shock and helps to propel you forward as you move through the foot. So that it, there is a huge amount of load going through that tendon. It's really, really important to look after it and treat it well and make sure that it's in good working order because as runners and runners in particular but then I think if you're a cyclist not only a cyclist you probably have fewer problems with it but then I think you always get those other people that want to cycle and run and there are obviously issues with that as well so do you do you find that you get a lot of cyclists with Achilles problems or is it just Achilles pain that's referring from somewhere else sometimes it's Achilles pain referring from somewhere else I don't think we get as many cyclists in I think cyclists are really good because it's a it's such a great sport isn't it for it's non-load you know it's not weight bearing in the same way that running is Mm. um and I think people are 
quite good at being able to cope with a bit more on a bike. Mm. So it'll be mainly runners, and that can be endurance runners or sprinters and triathletes that will get in. So it's all to do with the loading and the impact then and the foot landing on the ground and the action of the Achilles and that sort of stretch shortening cycle to, to give us that ping and spring that you talked about last time. Yeah, and how it all works together because your foot is a should be a lever. So it's, it's one of those kind of really magical things that absorbs shock in certain positions, but then it also turns into a really strong lever mm. to propel you over and obviously... As you are adult, uh, or as you're an adult, then obviously the weight will change, and you know that needs that whole little unit of the foot and the calf and the Achilles needs to be able to lift and propel your body weight forward. Mm. I don't think I was ever really aware of the Achilles tendon until I got an Achilles tendon injury, and I suddenly thought, "Wow, I've got this real pain just above my heel." You know, just below my calf that's making me limp, and it hurts when I get out of bed, and it's. It's stopping me running. Um, I'd never understood that perhaps we should be doing something to make it stronger or more healthy or more more resilient. Um, yeah, I think it, it is one of those things that will absolutely stop stop you in your tracks. The what you've described there is that pain or stiffness I'm getting out of bed, and you know the, mm. when the beginning when you first start to get an Achilles issue, mm. you know it might take five steps before you think oh, I was gone and that's it. Um, no, well, it was well more than five steps. Yeah, and then it obviously may well last for longer, and then it starts you know being sore when you're actually using it when you're you're training, and um, then it really does become an issue, and then it's harder to get rid of at that point. I have heard people you know people say the injury that they've got they'll say i've got achilles tendinitis then somebody will say i've got tendinosis tendinosis and then somebody else will say oh i've been diagnosed with tendinopathy um, and then there's a rupture or partial rupture which i guess are the, the worst ones um so what, are these all the same thing just given different names by professionals like yourself or is there a is, is it does each one have a different characteristic pretty much the tendinopathy would be the one that would describe pain in and around the achilles tendon obviously the ruptures and partial ruptures are actual tears so they are something different a rupture is something that you really don't want to get um for obvious reasons and it just takes a long time to come back from that um probably tendinopathy would be the term that i would use but then you can get issues that are in the the tendon sheath um, and there are various other structures in and around the Achilles tendon that can also give pain. So it's not always mm. it's not always the tendon that when people come in, and we've had some really remarkable things when you assess the tendon, you think, actually, this, there's nothing wrong with this tendon. It's a lovely tendon. But it might be the fat pad around it or the, the bursa that sits in front or that you can have nerve pain through there or it can be some of the other tendons. So your, your deep toe flexors that we talked about in the previous podcast mm they pass in and around there as well. So there are numerous things that could actually give pain in and around there or stop your foot functioning well. Therefore, you do get pain even over the back of the heel bone. Yeah, I think that would surprise a lot of people to know that they could be getting this quite severe pain in that Achilles region. But actually, it's not the Achilles, it's a nerve pain. And I can remember there were a few times when I was riding my bike and thinking, my Achilles is so painful. Now, but I hadn't, but I hadn't been doing any running, and thinking, I wonder if this is coming from my. I, I was getting some tightness in one of my glutes, and I was thinking, well, maybe this is like a sciatic pain where it's running down a nerve that goes right down into my foot. 
Is that possible? Yeah, no, that's absolutely possible. And we see that quite often. And I think if you've got someone who's got uh, bilateral, so double-sided Achilles pain, I will always check someone's back anyway, and I'll always check all their neural structures. But that, for me, would be a sort of query, mm, is this coming from you know a lot further up the chain? Um, mm. So, no, it's always worth checking. Obviously, if you're riding your bike, you're definitely bending over and you're stressing your back and you're mm. stressing those neural structures. Mm. Yeah, and if somebody rides a lot, I can remember going back to when the British Triathlon started the performance programmes. Um, some of the physios at Bath were saying that they were seeing injuries in the triathletes that they saw in runners and maybe in cyclists, but they were seeing them in greater numbers and they were starting to wonder whether the the volume of cycling was then starting to impact the way people ran and leading to injuries. So maybe all of that cycling was leading to tighter hips, which was then impacting somebody's running gait, which then led to an Achilles problem. Is that possible? Yep, absolutely possible. And, you know, if you look at the two positions, running and cycling, they're complete opposites. So you're using your glute muscles in different ways. You're tightening up your hip flexors. And then we've also had, you know, issues where even the, the, the cycling shoe, which may not affect you when you're on your bike, but that can then potentially affect your foot and therefore some of the other structures in and around the foot. So we've had people with really, really hard cycling shoes um, that because of the fact they're squeezing against that, it can affect the nerves in the foot, which then can start feeding up in and around the Achilles or, again, just changing how the, the foot works, which, if all you do is cycle, isn't going to be too much of a problem. But actually, if you're someone who wants to get off your bike and run, that definitely can become a problem. So in my hand, I have one of my new cycling shoes, as you can see from the bottom there. It's pristine at the moment, but it's carbon fibre shoes, so very firm very fixed is that the sort of thing you're referring to when you say very hard shoes yeah it is and i think that especially the females um you know they you know our feet aren't probably going to be quite as strong so therefore mm. um yeah that might be again for females be more of a problem when they start running but i've definitely seen that in yes quite a number of the female triathletes i remember you telling me that you'd suggested to a couple of high-level triathletes that they change into some maybe cheaper plastic-soled yeah. shoes because they have plantar fascia. But would that be similar? Exactly sort of reason? similar, yeah. And then one of those, they eventually did try going back into the harder shoes and within a couple of weeks had mm. sore feet. And then two weeks later, when they changed back out of those shoes, that pain went away. So definitely worth thinking about because you might not realise that actually my feet hurt when I'm running, but it's to do with my other sport that I'm doing. Well, that... that point there about it's worth thinking about i don't think most people do think about the sole of their cycling shoes i think people are guided towards buying these because they're lighter because they've got more stiffness which is better when they're sprinting or climbing and that's going to help them with the cycling performance but if you're a triathlete then obviously there's more to it than just your cycling performance yeah and it might be that you maybe do your hill sessions and your races in those and use something else for training so that you've you've yeah. got that ability to chop and change and use your feet in different ways well while we're talking about shoes obviously there's been a lot of stuff in the press recently about these super shoes um saving you all of this time but i have noticed when i've been watching athletes in longer distance triathlons that a lot of those folks are collapsing inwards towards the finish line making me think that not just that they're really fatigued but they've just lost that sort of biomechanical control of their 
around the hips and the knees and everything. And because those shoes don't seem to have much medial support, they're just rolling in. Is, is that something you've seen? Yeah, I think that combination between, as you say, fatigue in and around the hips, which will definitely change your running technique. The shoes do make you use your, your legs and your feet in different ways, which I've heard just sort of people talking about how different it feels and you don't feel like you're using your calves as much. But I think there is also some evidence coming out that the shoe will react at certain speeds quicker than right. your feet will react. So okay. you might have a situation where the shoe is almost propelling you forward because that's what it's designed to do. But maybe your foot hasn't quite reacted quickly enough to be able to to do that. So there will be consequences there because if your feet aren't functioning as well or your cars mm. aren't functioning as well, that you will have a knock-on effect further up the chain. So would it be right to say that the, the 4% or whatever they claim you can run faster with these shoes is only really going to have the full benefit if you have the conditioning of the foot and the ankle in order to be able to take take that benefit and if you don't then and your feet are collapsing and you're just effectively going to be shuffling in a very expensive pair of lightweight shoes yeah i think and i think you probably agree it's like anything not every shoe is going to suit everybody Mm. so therefore i think it's important that you try it for you and if you're a high level competitor it probably is worth trying some of those shoes or getting some biomechanics done on it because it could be that those shoes are fine for you for 5 and 10k mm. but once you get past a half marathon they definitely don't work for you and you know i think it's important to you know they may work for some things they may not work for others and like any shoe any pair of trainers not every shoe will work for everybody yeah and that's what concerns me as a coach is folks say right i you know i could i could get a, a faster marathon in this ironman race or I could get a faster half marathon by, by getting a pair of these shoes. But of course, they've got limited mileage. So folks don't want to wear them too much in training in case they wear them out. They want to use them on race day. So there's not really the opportunity for the majority of people to either lay out that amount of cash to buy those shoes or to train in them very often or to find out. So then they're just putting them on for the race and hoping that they're magically going to go 4% faster. I'm sure that's very frustrating as a coach because you wouldn't do that with a normal pair of shoes, would you? No. No, I wouldn't, but, but I just feel like it requires a little bit more preparation and uh, and thought rather than just buying a pair of shoes and, and maybe conditioning as well to be able to get the most out of them. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree with you. Okay. Let, let's go back to, um, the, you've talked about the types of injury. Um, I've been working with a lot of older athletes, um, ladies and gents who are in their late... 50s going into the 60s and they're starting to think a bit like myself about what they can do in the way they approach their training to keep doing this in the next 10 years would you say that older athletes are more prone to achilles type injuries than younger athletes definitely are there is that mix between i think with some of the younger athletes they may be able to train harder so you get that they overload because they're probably not strong enough for the amount of training that they're able to cope with Mm -hmm. because they're younger and they recover quickly therefore they think they're quite resilient and can go off and do lots and Mm. lots of miles um unfortunately for the older athlete like we discussed in that previous podcast which was about aging you know our muscle strength isn't as good Mm. decade after decade after decade and your muscles are there for a reason to protect your tendons so it's important to be training both so if your muscles are not strong enough your tendons will have to take more of the load um 
a lot of the training works, the isometric holding or the eccentric loading or calf raises will help to improve or maintain the tensile strength of the tendon. Mm. But being able to have strong enough calves for your body weight, resilient enough calves that will enable you to do the miles that you want to do or the speed work that you want to do is really important. Obviously, recovering, which again, as you get older, you will need to you know, have those extra recovery days in there. Um, and then also I've seen people and some of these have been sprinters where they've come into the clinic and they have literally done all the right things with the loading and the stretching and the mobility and they've literally done everything but then when you watch them running they actually have no idea how to use their feet properly and they they can't even hop to generate that kind of Mm. plyometric power so you know making sure that your feet work is really important and that you can still generate that kind of force i've i've met several individuals recently who've had either a full or a partial rupture nearly all of them were in the 50s they were participating i say participating they weren't competing they were messing about playing five-side football playing squash playing badminton so those sorts and those are all the sorts of activities where it stop starts where you're going to make a very dramatic acceleration stop on a sixpence and turn which is probably what's happened and then they felt something pop and then that's it then but is that just coincidence that all of those folks are in the 50s or you know going back to that um, debate about older versus younger do we also get more fragile connective tissues we get older as well so they are more prone to responding badly to sudden changes of direction and speed yeah there's a bit of that and i think with those tendons they it is unlikely that they will be a healthy tendon they probably have got something sort of mm. you know even at a subclinical level going on there that they haven't really noticed is happening and yeah unfortunately that's it's a horrible injury to get and uh not one that you'd wish on anybody. But I think, again, if you're playing five-a-side football and squash, it's really important to make sure that you're training for the for what you want to do. Okay. And, and what about males versus females? Are, are males more likely or less likely to get injury? Do we, do we find females, perhaps when they're going through the menopause and they've got those changes in hormones as well, are they, do they become more prone to this sort of injury? Or are females generally more protected from Achilles problems? And I think that they would be, you know, with... Women who've had children, again, that makes more laxity in all of the joints, not just the foot Mm. joints or the pelvic joints. Um, I think it's quite easy to just assume it's around the pelvis, but it is every single joint in your body that gets affected when through Mm. pregnancy. Um, So having looser feet means that your Achilles will be under more stress. So making sure that you're you're training that. And then again, unfortunately, with the menopause, that's again going to have another knock-on effect on all your your tissues and the collagen and... Mm -hmm how they all recover. So it's just, you know, again, making sure that you're keeping on top of all that strength. Um, obviously, biomechanical differences with women's pelvises and how their feet hit the ground, all those kind of little things will make a difference. Um, and men are just lucky that they actually maintain, they, they're stronger anyway, physiologically stronger, and maintain their strength longer th- as they age. Yeah, well, just... Does diet or sleep or any of those other recovery protocols that we talk about, do those things help with our sort of resilience to injuries like this? I mean, are you aware of whether eating more junk food or more foods that cause you know, inflammation around the joints make us then more prone to picking up tendon injuries? 
Um, I haven't read any of the research around it. It will make a difference just in terms of, you know, good nutritional practices and like you say, the inflammation. And there is more research coming out about Mm -hmm. obviously some of the ultra processed food and the degree of inflammation that that gives you. And I think as you get older, if you're maybe not quite as serious, it's also maybe easier to to maybe skimp on sleep because you've maybe got a busy job or a busy family Mm. life. And then you maybe aren't eating quite as well as you would have done when you were competing at a higher level or, you know, so I think all of those things come into play and it's it's quite easy to cut corners sometimes. And yeah, I can remember when I first had an assessment with you, Alison, it was after I'd broken my collarbone. Do you remember that? And, And you did this full body assessment and you said, oh, you're very tight in the upper back here. There's not much rotation, as you, so no counter-rotation as I was running, which meant that that then pushed the action further down towards my hips, which had to um, compensate. And because they were a bit tight, that meant everything just cascaded further down. So stuck in the middle between poorly poorly responding feet and a body that perhaps wasn't as mobile were my Achilles, which were where I was feeling all the pain. Mm. But actually, they were just the symptom. The cause was from way higher up my body. Um, Do you find that to be the case with a lot of people? Definitely. I think that thoracic rotation that you've just described there is probably one of the exercises I will most often give out to runners with any kind of chronic lower limb Mm. thing. Um, It might not be that you know, you're coming in with a lower limb problem. It might be things around the pelvis that is because of not rotating further up. But in terms of your feet, if your foot is fixed on the ground while you're pushing off through it, and if you don't have rotation, whether it's lack of mobility in your hips or through your upper back, you will be screwing that foot into the floor over and over and over again, and that will be loading up your tendon. Mm. And there's a lot of... I, I did some little sums once about the number of foot strikes that people were... You know, if you're running even 10 kilometers and you're doing one stride every two meters, or if you what I can't remember what it was, if you're doing 100, 180 footsteps per minute and you're running for 60 minutes, that's, you know, five, 6,000 footsteps. And if you're doing that three times a week, that's, let's say, 15,000 footsteps times 50 weeks of the year. That's an awful lot of footsteps. It's and awful. if, if, for most people, I guess, that those footsteps aren't perfect. So there's an awful lot of strain going through imperfectly through that very small tendon and joint. Yeah, and the other thing is if your ankles are stiff, so I think we covered this the last time as well. So if, you, if you're standing, mm. you need 90 degrees at your ankles just to be upright. To walk and run nicely and able to roll through your feet, you need about 20 degrees past 90. Well, we see probably the majority of our Achilles patients or problem patients, they will have probably 90 degrees. So it might be the fact that they walk out and they're wandering around in some, a really, really flat shoe, which is overloading that. If you don't have enough range at the ankle, there are two things that happen. Men will generally walk with their legs turned out. So you're going to be rolling down through your midfoot and rolling down through the that medial side of your Achilles. Mm. With women, again, because they tend to be a bit more lax in the joints they will tend to pronate down through the midfoot so again you're loading up those same structures um but that's purely just because your ankles aren't mobile enough so Mm. yeah that could then give you kind of stress on those nerves that feed back up into the achilles and give you pain that way right so here's here's the big question because i know lots of people have had achilles promises if you're doing lots of training particularly running 
are they inevitable? Is it something you're just going to have to put up with? No, I don't believe that it is. I really don't. And I think you'll get potentially an unlucky one where you've maybe chosen the wrong pair of shoes for you. I think if you're suddenly building up your miles far too quickly, you're not recovering enough, you're maybe not stretching. Um, but I think if you're really, you know, if you're looking after yourself and making sure that you are doing the strength work and you know, just getting your feet checked out and making sure that they're working properly, mm. you know, if you've got poor biomechanics, I'm a really big believer that the the good pair of orthotics will really, really help you and help your foot to function. Um, and I think that's important as well because you can only strengthen up your feet so much. So if you're wanting to run, run a very, very long way and your biomechanics are poor, it's unlikely that at some point during that run that that won't then start affecting your tendons and at some point that will start giving you pain. But no, I think it's absolutely possible to be quite happily running without Achilles pain. Hmm. Yeah, I think back to that podcast we did about calf strength and how to protect your calves and we talked about injuries as well, didn't we? We did the podcast on injuries and I remember you saying then the three main causes of injury are inappropriate training, so going doing too much high levels high 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 intensity work or building up too quickly. Lack of poor technique, which can be caused by fatigue when you're just running when you're tired, and poor strength. So, and particularly that poor strength is around the ankle, mm. the calf, and I guess some sort of strength in terms of um, control around the hips as well. Yep, totally agree with you. And I think sport is something that you you know you need to just be doing a little bit of stuff around the edges to help you enjoy your sport, mm. um, particularly if it's running. And if it's running uphill, then you need those to be even stronger than if you're just running on the flat. Yeah, I think what's for the majority of people, they'll see the elite runners out there. And they'll see them running, especially if you're watching something on the television and you're watching a race, you see the start of the race and you see the end of the race. But what you don't see is that those elite runners are probably warmed up for 45 to 60 minutes beforehand. And they've, and then there's all the preparatory work that goes on in the, you know, years, months, days leading up to that, which will include a lot of the work that you've talked about. What we see is them going hell for leather off the bat. And, yeah, we, and, and they we don't take into account all of that preparatory work that enables them to do that. Yeah, and a lot of that will be heavy loading through the calves and making sure the calves are strong enough. They'll be obviously in the physio room making sure their ankles are working mm. and not everybody has to do that much, but equally to do sets of calf raises, you know, when you before you come in from your run, it's it's not taking a lot of time out of, you know, it's maybe taking you two or three more extra minutes before mm. you come in, but actually you've done them. And it will really help. And even, you know, if you can, or you build up to it, adding in some skipping so that you're making sure that your feet are working well and all important things. Every time I talk with you or Louisa, it always feels like I'm, well, I am extolling the virtues of your, you know, your skills and, and um, your physio uh, experience. And it all sounds like a, a repeated message to all the listeners because... I remember you telling me about doing more mobility and more calf work and, you know, more drills to improve on my technique a little bit. But having, I found it really difficult to start with to fit them in, but it's just habit. You know, doing the calf raises takes two to three minutes. I would imagine that the majority of listeners spend at least two to three minutes every day brushing their teeth. And it's a habit that they've probably grown up with. 
since their mum and dad started them on it when they were old enough to do it themselves. And, you know, we don't question it. We, I would guarantee that majority of listeners spend at least two or three minutes every hour on Facebook or some other social media thing on the phone. So it's not like we don't have the time. It's building habits. Yeah. Um, and once you have built those habits and you've got the ball rolling, you only need to just keep brushing it along. Don't you need to keep the ball rolling. You don't need to keep doing more and more and more. You just need to do enough to, to build that strength. Yeah, and I think if you're... Yeah, we've spoken about this before as well. If your if your calves and feet are strong enough, you will use them when you run. Therefore, they will be strengthening up doing the activity that you want them to do. So, mm. you know, they're, they're doing their own exercise just because you've made them strong enough in the first place. Yeah, and you can probably get away with a little bit less running to get the performance you want and divert some of that extra time to doing that preparatory work and end up with a greater result rather yeah. than just going out and sh- shuffling along. Yep, no, for definite, for definite. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that we just needed to, mm. we were talking about Achilles pain and Achilles type of pain and those kind of what we, what we would call differential diagnoses of your Achilles is sore because your ankle's stiff or your Achilles is sore because the muscle that goes down to your big toe is really short and tight. So your FHL, if that's tight, prevents you from rolling through your big toe, which then means something else is going to have to get loaded up. Um, you can get different types of heel bone shapes. So if you've got a really square heel bone, then it's going mm. to be even more important to make sure you've got enough calf mobility, but also probably to wear a slightly higher heel in your shoe um, in your trainer, not to have one that's completely flat with no drop. Um, and like I said, there's the other sort of the deeper tendons, those deep flexor tendons, plus the nerves going through there. Then you've got your retrocalcaneal bursa and your Kagus fat pad and all those kind of little things that, mm. you know, I think – if you're the person with a sore Achilles, you won't realise that there are all those other structures which might be affected before you even go up through the chain. And it could be that actually just getting a bit of direction um, as to which of those structures is the one that's causing your pain or creating change, which then starts overloading your Achilles. A while back, there was a, a seemed to be a real trend towards um, very low drop or zero drop shoes on the basis that this would... You know, improve your calf health is is that true or is it a horses for courses type of exercise that if i'm perfectly honest i think they are okay for some people mm-hmm. i think you'd have to have the right technique to be able to use them properly i think if you're running you know in the woods uh, and up hills you probably would get away with it more because you run in a slightly different way when you're sort of you know nipping round corners and it's not loading in exactly the same way I think if you're a heel striker, I think they're quite likely to be loading your feet in the wrong way. Um, so again, probably it, they might suit some people. Mm. They definitely don't suit me. And I know if I tried to run in them, it just changes everything all the way up. And I just don't feel like any of my muscles work. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like the Hoka running shoes. You know, I've had three knee operations now and having a little less cartilage around there, I feel like that gives me the extra cushioning, but, I also know that when I got them the first time, it was like walking around on marshmallows. And I was thinking, well, how do my feet actually feel? Because, you know, if you think about Walsh's and the, you know, the original fell running shoes, they've got no cushioning at all. They're like the old plimsolls we had at school with just a few rubber studs on the bottom. And you, but you can feel everything. So it, you know, is it back to that same answer? It's they're, they're okay for some people or do they have real benefits wearing shoes that have got extra cushioning? No, I think they, they do have extra benefit. Like for someone like yourself, it clearly is going to save your joints. 
they may not suit everybody. And I think unless you try a pair, and I think it it will also boil down to if they allow your feet to function the way they should do, mm. which, again, I've got athletes that you could have 10 athletes all wearing exactly the same shoe and it will suit some and not the others. Yeah. Okay. Well, Alison, whenever you're here, I, I feel like what we ought to do is, is summarise with a, a bit of a plan of action for most people. I, I appreciate that, you know, each person will have different things that they need to do, but you've listed a whole lot of factors that people can incorporate into their training to just make them a bit more prepared and give them a bit more Achilles health, maybe reduce the amount of times they come to see you complaining of pain in the morning. So can we can we give folks a bit of a programme that they could be following? Yep, sure. The um, So biomechanics, as I said, are important. So to start looking at that, if you were to be able to make sure that your calves are mobile enough. So that's really important. So a gastroc stretch, which is a straight leg stretch, cilia stretch, which is the bent leg one. And then I usually will give people a deep flexor stretch. So that's when you put your toes up against the the upright on a step and then bend your knee. So you're stretching through those okay. deep toe flexors just to enable your feet to, well, your toes to be long enough to roll through comfortably. So that's your mobility. Mm-hmm. I also like the foot pedals and just rolling through your toes like you're doing dolly steps. So again, a lot of people, their brains almost forget that they've got joints at the end of their foot where their toes attach, that that actually should be a folding point for, for people. That's all, that's, I remember watching those videos. It's almost like a reverse moonwalk. Yeah. 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 And just literally, even if you stood on the spot, which I will give to some people because they that's all they can cope with, is literally just lifting alternate heels, making sure that your toes are relaxed enough to be able to roll through those joints, which then will give you some carryover. Soft tissue stuff, if you're you know able to go and get some, or you can use you know foam rollers and you know if you your tennis balls or the peanuts. So just to go through there, so you're actually getting some soft tissue to work through you into and around the ankle, then all the way up and down the calf, or definitely down around the ankle. Using a tennis ball under the foot is again really Mm. really good way because most of us don't look after our feet as well as we could do and your feet will get tight there are muscles in there as well as your plantar fascia and all the other structures so that's really important and then calf loading or calf strengthening so before you come in from your run ideally again I would get ask people to build up to being able to do it single legged three sets of 25 bent leg and straight leg and if can I stop can I stop you there on those Whenever I come back from a run, I feel like my calves are a little tired and I'm not very effective at doing my calf raises. Um, so is that actually the best time? Is that the time when you prefer to do them or is that the best time for most folks? It, I think that I prefer to do them then because, like you say, it's habit and I've done them for so many years. I'd mm. finish a run, I would do them then, then I would stretch my calves and then I'm done. The likelihood of me then doing it at 9 o'clock at night is probably fairly slim. Um, it yeah, may not suit everybody. You can do it on other days. For me, the biggest thing is don't do it right before you go out of the door. Oh, well, that was my next question. Can I use them as part of my warm-up? You could do a small set. So if you just did 10 to activate your calves, then that's fine. But I wouldn't suggest you did three sets of 25 of each of those because by the time you got out, you your calves will be tired anyway. Right. And you mentioned skipping. So at what point could we introduce skipping? So again, I wouldn't give people skipping to do unless 
They were pain-free. So if you had sore Achilles, I would wait until you were pain-free. If you're able to do single-legged calf raises, then you should be strong enough. But I would suggest you need to be able to do sort of three sets of 15 calf raises to be able to do that. Mm. You can obviously do double-legged skipping, which is only 50% of body weight on each side. So that would be where I would start people to just get a little bit more ping and spring in their feet. So Mm. just get that lightness. And then starting to then, you don't need to do a full minute of single leg skipping or hopping, you know, so do two and then one and two and one and two and one. So you're just mixing it up and actually just asking the Achilles to do that a little bit more. And then you can build up your numbers from there. Mm. I don't think you have to do lots and lots and lots of skipping. No. Well, I think, you know, the important thing to remember about skipping as well is it's a plyometric exercise. And if you read any of the the information and, and research on plyometrics is they always talk about number of foot contacts that you make and that when you start out, the number of foot contacts needs to be quite limited. Otherwise, you end up, you know, trying to fix one problem and then creating another problem. Yeah. And I think if you literally timed, um, you know, even if you did five by 30 seconds to start with, skipping is actually quite hard if you haven't done it for a while. I'll tend to do mine midweek. I'll do, I'll set aside one morning. I'll do some drills. I'll do some mobility work and I'll do some skipping. You know, mm. for, I, I've built up now to doing it for a couple of minutes for each of the little sets. I do mm. the skipping and do some lunging. So you're keeping mobile, but even just starting to bring that process in just reminds your brain that, you know, you, you've got, pingy springy muscles in your feet and your calves that will help you to move over the ground it's quite a self-limiting exercise as well skipping isn't it if you've not done it before because most of the time you're ending up getting the cable twisted around your feet so you're having to stop and start again so the number of contacts is limited yeah and if you're you know if you're weak around the hips and the pelvis then you don't want to be doing any single-legged skipping because mm. you'll be collapsing down through the hips so you know I, I, there is absolutely no reason to avoid skipping full stop um, but double-legged skipping would you know, certainly mm. give you a good start. Mm. Okay, so we've got so we've got the uh, got the stretching, tennis ball, looking after feet, calf loading, building up to three times twenty-five per leg, single-legged with the with the knee straight and also with the knee bent. Now, do you do the straight knee and the bent knee in the same program, or could you do bent knee one day, straight knee the next? You could do them like that. I would probably, again, I would probably tend to suggest that you do the straight, left, right, left, right, left, right, and then do the bent ones, left, right, left, right. And I'd almost rather you did those and then had a day off the next day rather okay. than sort of loading up on every single day. Okay. Um, do we do, in, in that mobility, are we doing anything around the hips at all? If you've got tight hips, yeah, no, you you could do so. Again, you could do your, your stretches. I absolutely love lunges. I think they're great for stability and mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, walking drills. So again, I think as people get older, they tend to not use their hips as well. So even just do the high knee walking so that you're actually you know mm-hmm. using your muscles and you're stabilizing, you're using your balance and then bringing your foot up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just while we're talking about balance, Balance is really important. And if you can't balance without screwing up your toes, then you need to start just working on that because Mm. if you've ever tried walking with your toes screwed up, it's virtually impossible. So Mm -hmm. that is the other reason why we'd see people coming in and you're asking them to either turn their head left and right, which is the kind of thing you might be doing if you're chatting to a friend or Mm -hmm. looking for your dog while you're running. But toe scrunching and breath holding are all the little signs of not being able to control your balance, which again will have an big knock-on effect on your tendons 
Well, we talked about longevity earlier. I think that the um, one-legged balancing is a, a very, very strong predictor of longevity, isn't it, as well? So we, as we're getting older, we perhaps should be including that as a matter of course, regardless of whether it's for our running or not. It's just going to help us stay upright and alive. Yeah, and they have done research that shows that if you are a non-sports person, you lose your balance, but actually people that do sports still lose their balance. So mm. it's a really worthwhile thing to put in and hopefully we'll, when we get really, really old, that will help us to not fall over as much. <laughs> I, I think, you know, when we're watching the athletics and you hear one of the commentators saying, oh, look at so-and-so, he's a beautifully balanced runner. And we just we just take that as a throwaway phrase. But, but actually, if you're unable to be balanced on one foot when you're static, um, you're effectively falling or stumbling from one foot to the other while you're running. You're never going to be as efficient as you could be. No, and that all means that you spend more time on your feet. And we've talked again in the past about, you know, if your hip abductors, so those muscles on the outside mm. of your feet, if they're weak and you sink into your foot on that side because you haven't got that ability to just quickly roll over your foot because everything reacts quickly you are spending more time sagging down through the foot and sagging down through your Achilles and your calf muscles or any of the other muscles that are affected. And running is complicated. So sometimes it it is necessary to just fine-tune that so mm. your body works right the way from your foot, right the way up through, and then through all your, you know, your abdominal muscles and mm-hmm. into your trunk. Well, what's interesting to me is that I've, I've spoken with quite a few um, people recently who help athletes to run better but they don't call themselves running coaches they call themselves movement coaches because what they're trying to do is get people to stand taller keep the hips high keep the head in the right position be balanced move effectively and it's interesting when I get the feedback from the listeners saying well you didn't talk anything about intervals there or fart leg stuff or you know um, how long I should be running for you talked about posture and balance and mobility but those are the foundations for good running they absolutely are, and you can't start layering on. If if you don't move well, you will probably hit a ceiling of performance or mm. training, which will then obviously affect your performance. So those little tiny one, well, they're bigger than one percenters, aren't they? But even mm-hmm. you know, if every time and all those footsteps you were talking about earlier, if every single one of those takes point one of a second longer because of lack of control further up, that will have an effect on your time. Well, and that's a, a huge metric that some of the new gadgets can measure is ground contact time. And whenever you look at the ground contact times for the fastest marathon runners, the fastest track runners, they're always significantly lower and sustainable as well. You know, so they're not losing that. The ground contact time's not getting longer as they're getting tired because the technique's there. Yeah. And it's, they look so easy, don't they? When mm. you're watching someone yeah. who's just moving well. They don't even look like they're trying because it is just so fluid. Yes. Poetry in motion. Absolutely. So is there, is there anything else that you'd want to add to that list then for folks? Is, I mean, it's a growing list, so a lot of people will be thinking, well, I'm going to have to run less in order to get all that in. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier about your upper body mobility. Mm. We're a nation that sits more. We really are. And between cars and working from home and all of those other kind of things, you know, people do tend to sit more. People will be getting stiffer through their upper body. So, you know, I absolutely think if if, if you can stay mobile and even if it is just, you know, in an ad break when you're watching TV in the evening, just manage to get a few little mobility exercises in, that would be really 
helpful. Well, the exercise you got me to do, and I still do it every morning when I get out of bed, is to sit on the edge of the bed with my hands on my thighs and then just rotate my shoulders backwards and forwards and slide my hands backwards and forwards and just do 50 of those. It takes less than a minute. But that really helped me to get some mobility in my upper back. Yeah. And that is, it's so simple and doing that and keeping your head still because a lot of people will end up taking their head with them when they start turning their upper back. Mm. But that is the basis of good movement. That one movement that probably most people don't, aren't able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think we'll have to get a video of that then and put it into the show notes. Yeah. To, so that people can have a look. Okay, Alison. Well, as usual, it's been a, a very informative and educational conversation for me. I hope the listeners have uh, appreciated that as well. And I know that lots and lots of people have had Achilles problems at least once. And a lot of people feel like they're plagued with them all the time. So maybe they'll find some solace in this and some, uh, some comfort and maybe an opportunity to move on from there. But if if I could, and I, if I could go right back to one of the things we mentioned at the beginning, I've not really had any Achilles problems. Although I've not run as much, I still do run, but I don't get the same calf and Achilles problems. And I do take that right back to the assessment, the the full body assessment that you and Louisa did with me, you know, eight or nine years ago, and then the sort of guidance about doing more mobility. So I, I do think that for for a lot of listeners, if you are having ongoing problems with Achilles injuries, with calf problems, with, with knee injuries, go and get a full assessment. It's a huge, you may feel like it's an ex- expensive investment, but in terms of what you're paying for a pair of running shoes or a bike, it will be money well spent. And if it opens up the pathway to pain-free running, then you will be so, so happy. So it doesn't have to be with Alison, but please do go and seek out a physio who can do that assessment for you and uh, there won't be any downsides. Even if you find out that you're absolutely perfect, at least it's nice to know. Yeah, and I think I think it's money well spent. I totally agree with you. Hopefully it will help to keep you out of the physio room rather than bring you into it a mm. lot more. And even just looking at maybe the way that your hip moves to enable you to put your foot down in a nice position, mm. it could be something as simple as that, which a few little drills before you go out running, but... You know, I think for anyone who loves sport and loves being able to just carry on enjoying what they're doing, it, it is worth doing. Well, we all know how painful, how frustrating and how expensive it can be when we're injured. So if we can avoid all of those three, we'll be a lot happier, right? Absolutely. And you'll be a lot happier because you'll be working with people who are proactive rather than reacting. Yeah, and, and that that's what I do with all the, the elite athletes is you try and keep them injury free, which is what enables them to either... Mm build on that or do more training or compete to the best of their abilities and physio is about more than fixing injuries it's about stopping them happening in the first place and keeping people doing what they're doing Mm. so there you heard it folks that is one of the secrets of the elite athletes it's about being consistent and often that requires them to see their physio on a regular basis to stay consistent so if if you wonder how they do it that's how. Don't miss any training. Be consistent. Have a good physio in your corner. Exactly. Alison, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. No, thanks, Simon. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you again to Alison for being my guest on the show this week. If you're interested in visiting Alison or one of her other physio colleagues at the clinic to have a full body assessment and make sure that you can take care in advance 
of those hot spots which might lead to Achilles or calf problems, please look out for the link in the show notes below. And also, to make sure you don't miss any one of our episodes in the future, please can you go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, and then click on the subscribe button. And while you're there, I would really, 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 really appreciate it if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're not going to Apple Podcasts directly, then you can find a link in the show notes below. Now, at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that we've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so we don't need to have any of those pesky paid adverts on the show. It's my main goal to ensure that every single one of our SWAT members get back way more than the price of their monthly subscription, which currently stands at £30 and which we've held now for three or four years. Membership benefits including access to a growing library of training plans for a whole range of endurance events, obviously triathlon, but duathlon, aquabike, swim, run, etc., 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 as well as simple little programs that cover six to eight weeks of specific training to help you build things like your FTP for the bike or CSS pace in the pool. We also have monthly workshops exclusive to our SWAT members and educational workshops, which they also have free access to on topics such as nutrition, sleep, strength, and many more. And we also have a growing range of discounts on partner products. And these are products that I use myself. And because I use them myself and I find them to be really good and I really enjoy working with the people who run these companies, I've persuaded them to make them available to you at a slightly better price than you can get anywhere else. So if you want to learn more and access these member-only benefits, please visit my website, simonwall.co.uk, or click on the link below and look for the button that says Work With Me. If you want to go on social media and you really want to find me, I'm the Triathlon Coach or just plain old Triathlon Coach. And you can find me as that on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And that's it for this week. I will see you on another episode. But for now, have a good week yourself and enjoy your training.